Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. This is episode six, where Chad and I sit down and have a talk with Amanda Coolidge from BC Campus. All right, ready? Three, two, one. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. I did it. I almost went through the whole episode without pressing the stupid record button. Whew. So I'm so thankful that you caught it, Chad, because that, that, you know, we have an awesome guest on. We have an awesome guest on today, and it would have sucked. That's why to, you keep me around, is to notice that red dot right. in the upper right left hand not, there. Not just the pretty face. I've got the face for radio, but you've got the face for TV, so it's uh, it's all good that way. Uh, um, anyway, without further ado, uh, Amanda, would you mind telling us uh, about yourself a little bit and how you got into uh, the open world? Absolutely. Um, I am thrilled to be on the podcast and I really appreciate it. And as you both know, I'm big fans of the work that you're doing um, together and individually in trades and pedagogy. So uh, my name is Amanda Coolidge. I am uh, the Associate Director of Open Education at BC Campus. And um, how did I get involved in Open? Well, I am originally an instructional designer. That's where my background is. And um, when I first started being an instructional designer, it was at the very early stages of Creative Commons licensing and, and the work that was happening in open. And I um, was always very intrigued by the, the idea of um, an opportunity to enhance and remix uh, curriculum. And I wanted to become more involved in it. So in 2006, um, after being an instructional designer for a few years in Alberta, I moved to Nairobi, Kenya, where I worked on a project with the uh, BBC, the Open University of the UK and African Virtual University. And I worked on a project called TESA, which stands for Teacher Education in Sub-Saharan Africa. And the goal of that project was to create the first open education repository that was authored by African educators for African educators. And um, I felt like I was really at the forefront of the work there. I was really inspired by the customization techniques that were being used to localize the content for the African educators. And um, that's kind of where I, I really became enthused about open. Um, when I moved back to Canada, I um, also implemented some open education strategies where I was working at um, institutions like Royal Roads University um, and then made my way into BC campus, which has been a real uh, pioneer in the field of open education. So I feel very fortunate to to be a part of this organization that really puts open first. That's awesome. How did you end up at BC campus? So I ended up at BC campus because I was working at Royal Roads University and um, I was an instructional designer there. And my director um, was Mary Burgess, who's now the executive director of BC campus. And at the time, um, while we were working in the Le learning and teaching center there, there was myself and Clint Lalonde, who also is now working at BC campus and Tracy Roberts, who mm -hmm. also is working at BC campus. And um, Mary went over to become the director of curriculum after Paul Stacy left. Um, he went to go to Creative Commons 
and um, they started hiring positions and I thought, oh, wow, they're working on this cool open textbook project. I want to be involved. So applied, put my name in and been here since 2014. That's awesome. That is mm-hmm. awesome. So a quick question about your, your Kenyan experience. I've heard that the Kenyans um, really have a, a, a unique and different perspective on education in the sense that even though they're a developing country, they they've really, really value their education. And, and in fact, a lot of their people seek education. Did you find that to be your experience when you were over there? Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things is primary education there is, um, which would be, you know, grades kindergarten through grade six, I guess you would call it, is um, incredibly valued, especially in the rural communities, um, also in the urban communities. But they do a really uh, amazing job of ensuring that kids get to school. Um, They also um, provide, um, you know, uniforms for the children for for, uh, their schooling. But also, you know, there's just a real sense of um, an understanding that, you know, education is sort of the next step forward for an individual. Um, So if you have the opportunity to be involved in either primary education or if you start pursuing additional um, further education, it was always seen as um, an opportunity to um, move forward to find um, another career path or potentially, you know, be able to bring in further income for your family. Yeah. Don't, don't you think that that philosophy is, is kind of like, I guess, widespread around different parts of the globe, maybe even the whole globe, that education is just one of those pathways out of dire situations? Yeah, I think so. I think it is. And I think, you know, when you think of Um, the opportunities it affords you. So an opportunity to, um, you know, potentially uh, get your foot in the door at a job or even, you know, um, get beyond sort of the system, the, you know, um, traditional system that you may have been born into. If your father was a farmer and you want to contribute back to the farm, but maybe you wanted to contribute back, not in the laborer mode, but maybe in a business economic mode. Um, and I think, you know, this, there's also this sense, and I think we see this globally as well, is this sense of um, I'm now becoming an adult and therefore as an adult who is educated, I will now provide for my family. Um, and for many people, that's not just the family, you know, in your, um, your very close knit circle. It's also your extended family. And what does that mean? So I think it's, it's interesting when you start seeing education as a stepping stone. Um, towards life improvement. Mm-hmm. I think that's something, especially over here in North America, that we definitely take for granted. I mean, it's so Ugh, totally, it's completely. It's so easy to get an education that we're put into elementary school, onto high school, and then generally off to college or university and or trade school. And it's just we kind of lost how important it is, just because it's so we just take it for granted. I think, and it is. It can be used as a stepping stone. And I see it with my own students too. They're, they. They're just kind of going to school because that's what's expected of them, not because they want to better themselves. And so for me, it's, it's trying to get my students to get that love of lifelong learning and, and realize that this education is not just one of those things, a hoop they have to jump through, but it can be such a powerful thing for them, even here in North America, to step into something different. Yeah, so true. And I think we oftentimes when you come from that background where you know, education is just the next rite of passage that you go through. It's like kind of need to stop and just check your privilege, right? Mm -hmm. Just sort of identify what it is that you, um, the assumptions you make when you're 
when you're going to school and the assumptions is probably that a lot of people make, which is, oh, isn't this readily available to everybody? Um, and, you know, I think when, one thing we see, too, in British Columbia, especially is with the rise of international students. I mean, we're looking, you know, the rise of international students is showcasing that there is a need, right? Mm-hmm. There's a need for high quality education that perhaps they're not getting at their and from their home country, but also this opportunity to share their experiences back with our students um, who are local to the region and also to kind of hopefully provide an awakening that, you know, where you are right now is, is, you know, we're really lucky to be where we are is basically the way I see it. It's funny how almost the subject matter that we're teaching is like the smallest part of the education that our students can get. When you start mixing them in with the international students, they can start learning about different cultures and different experiences. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that subject matter, they can get off of Google almost. It's the whole inter- immersive experience of the education. That's just so powerful. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. It, it, I remember way back in my elementary years, uh, grade two, uh, we had our first, uh, African Canadian kid come to school. Our our first one, our only one, mm. right? And how that changed mm-hmm. our classroom. Uh, he, he and I mean, he was his family was from the uh, Dominican Republic, so it wasn't like an, an extreme separation, but it was still in a separation. And then in grade four, we had our first Vietnamese student come, and so and his family was like right from Vietnam, like didn't speak a lot of English and and here is this kid in our classroom and doesn't speak English and trying to get through the school year like I still remember some of the stuff that we went through even like in grade four and I can imagine that that person still has tons of uh, memories and experiences from that so the culture piece is is massive and I think of even our own institutes that we've worked at they've they've grown so much in the international student body that um that we forget that there's a richness there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you know i was um just at last week i went to the universal design for learning conference that was hosted here in victoria and one of the things that really struck a chord with me was you know this notion of having universal design for learning as part of the curriculum from the get-go versus a retrofit which i know many of us try to do but one thing that they that that i heard one speaker talk about is what was called culturally responsive pedagogy. So in my mind, this really was thinking more to the um, internationalization, interculturalization, this idea of how do we bring those voices of international students and other students. And I mean, students, even, you know, indigenous students or students who are born in Canada, but perhaps have a different ethnic background. And what, how do we incorporate that into the design of our courses? and I see, you know, it's it's really interesting when we start looking at that from the UDL lens and and how we can really, you know, create more of an inclusive environment from that lens as well. And that has a massive impact on what we're doing at BC Campus too, doesn't it? Because it's, you're right, there's a bit of a retro piece to it that we have to mm-hmm. look at, but it's, it's now going to affect everything that we do moving forward, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when we look at, BC campus as a whole is an organization. I mean, we have, you know, certain values in place that, um, that really speak to this, to trying to make our classrooms more inclusive. And so, you know, open sharing, 
accountability, respect, quality, all of these values then speak to the way in which we do our best in going out to the institutions to say, there are certain ways that you can that we can help you work on this. And, you know, we believe at BC Campus that through open education resources, we can get more of that equity um, into the the existing structures that, you know, can be a bit of a power dynamic at institutions. Yeah, for sure. Do you find that that's one of the things that you love the most about the open space? Yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of thinking about that because I do love the open space. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, I know I'm supposed to, uh, you probably think I should probably say that, but there is something, you know, when I, when people ask me about my job, I, I immediately light up and just, I'm like, I love my job so much. And I think, you know, there's a few reasons behind that. One is because I really feel that I am making a contribution to change in education and for there's something incredibly empowering about that and there's something incredibly daunting about it right it's sort of like you have this this weighted on your shoulders that's like how do you ensure that all students across british columbia have access to accessible education and you know i think there's so many ways in which we see open being one of the values that you know fosters inclusion and fosters equity and fosters accessibility and, you know, when we look at or, or diversity, I think what I love is that we can, you know, with an open license, it gives the faculty and students and staff, whoever wants to use the content, the ability to remix or revise that content to meet the needs of the students in the classroom. And you can actually change case studies and you can make a difference um, you can change images in a book so that they're more reflective of the students in your course. And so for me, it's just an exciting, it bridges not only a change I want to see in education, but it also really gets me excited about the change in pedagogy and the way we think about curriculum and the care and feeling of responsibility that we give to our students. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a there's that piece where... Um, I can totally relate to that explosive potential daunting task conundrum, right? And it, it just it just excites me so much to know that, and I've said this a bunch of times, it probably is, some people are going to hear it and go, come on, Carson, you've said that so, you've said that too many times already, but it's like we're on the, we're on the precipice of this big change and it's a privilege and an honor to be here, but it's also freaking me out a little bit because it's, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's doors are opening that have never been opened before mm -hmm. or doors are being made in spaces that haven't been, been made before. And it's super exciting to be at the forefront of that. And it makes me think, what, what could happen in, in, in five years? What could happen in 10 years? And how will it change uh, trades training in, in that short a period of time. So it, it, there's a, there's a huge social aspect to the open space too. Right. But there's this other thing too, that I, that I resonated with what you just said, Amanda was on the instructional side, right? Like, like the faculty side, mm -hmm. there's, there's, we now have moved the fences in, in saying you don't have to use this very particular piece of curriculum anymore in the way that the original author intended it. You can take it, mold it, shape it to your region, to your perspective, to your experience, uh, and with all the permission to do that, and, and, and in essence, make it yours. And and that is powerful. And, and I love that because it, it, it just takes the, like I said, the fences, the boundaries that used to constrict me as a faculty member and now just blows them open. It doesn't remove them, 
but it blows them open and gives me a ton of space to move in, in, in and around all that. Yeah, absolutely. What I love about that too, Tim, just to build on what you're saying is I, I, again, I mean, we're all preaching to the choir here talking about how much we love open, <laughs> but let's have a little bonfire right yeah, here. Kumbaya and, uh, and all the s'mores, eh? But like I, I first got into it, very excited about the five hours about remixing, reusing, adapting, using it all for that. But what, I love the fact that I can take something, make it mine, but I can make it mine for my particular context at that particular time. So I can take a, a textbook that I used last year and I can revise it to the context of the class that I have this year, right? So it, it constantly, I can be constantly changing that. So for me, the, the idea behind the innovation and the creativity, like it, it makes my mind pop because that's the stuff that gets mm-hmm. me excited. And so again, it just, it goes so far beyond just those five R's. And like Amanda, you were saying, it, it talks about, we're just talking about the access and accessibility and the equity and the innovation and creativity. And it's just, it's this beginning of, of an amazing thing that seems to be happening. I'm, I'm speaking mostly to the trade side now because I know OER has been around for, well, close to 20 years now, I guess. So um, just all that aspect of it just super duper excites me. And I'm going to get off my soapbox now. <laughs> <laughs> We're all taking turns. Amanda, what surprises you the most about the open space? Oh, um. I think the larger community itself, I find that sometimes what surprises me is the divisiveness, um, this notion that, you know, sometimes open has to be one way or another. Um, and that kind of worries me a little bit in terms of, um, you know, if we start creating these containers of what open, you know, quote unquote, should be versus um what we're seeing as we move forward with the transgression and future thinking of open it does worry me a bit that you know that perhaps that would cause for a organization to not um not want to be a part of open so that's one thing i think the other thing that i um get one thing in a positive way that um really surprises me and and surprises me in a way that just totally gets me fired up is um, constantly meeting new faculty or or faculty or instructors who've been in the field for a while who genuinely are excited about the possibility of open. And maybe it's the first time they're hearing about it or maybe they're kind of, it's just ticking for them at this point. There's just something really great that there's nothing stale about open. Um, open education, it's not it's something that's continually evolving. And I think that really um, excites me. And then the other thing that um, that also surprises me and inspires me is when we start thinking of open education beyond the walls of our classroom and we really start looking at it as a global movement and also as a, you know, a United Nations sustainable development goal. Those kind of things get me excited because it showcases where and surprises me because it also surprises me that that you know one for example the trades common core books um they're actually being used in tanzania at um a teaching college there and you think oh my goodness that's amazing mm-hmm. that like the books that were created in british columbia are also being used halfway around the world in order to educate an entirely different population it's inspiring. It's yeah. yeah. And I think that's what's, you know, the, the surprise for me is, is really like this ever evolving field. 
Um, the negative surprise for me would be the, you know, the, the divisiveness that sometimes we see in the open community where, like I said, is this, you know, how open are you? Are you open enough? Have you been yeah. doing this correctly? Have you not been doing this correctly? And I think, you know, we really need to stop and take notice of what it is we're here to do in the first place. And I really believe that's to improve student learning through accessible education. Yep. Like, I think that's what we're here for. And there's different modalities for it. And we need to to kind of honor and respect that. Yeah, I think trying to step away from it. Anytime you get people involved, you're going to have a binary. People trying to set up binary systems where this is right and this is wrong. And one thing I appreciate so much about the open space is it doesn't seem to. I mean, I know there are those that try to set those binaries up. But it's more of a conversation, a back and forth and an, an interaction. And it's constantly changing, shifting. And again, with any conversation, there's room for debate and there's room for discussion. And sometimes we agree to disagree. And that's from the conversations I've had. I mean, I've, I've experienced where I don't always agree with what I've, I'm talking to the person about, but it always works out and everything can kind of be left in a respectful manner. So if we can get out of those binary th- ways of thinking, we're way better off. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm sitting kind of in that silent mode thinking of what, what you were just saying, Amanda, and what you just said, Chad, about how we how we have our dialogue around open and, and sometimes it can become more than dialogue. It can become somewhat of a, well, let's just call it what it is, an argument as to who's right and who's wrong or whose perspective is better than, than whose others. And it reminds me, of, and this is going to sound a little corny, but hang with me for a minute. <laughs> it it, it kind of reminds me of that scene in Lord of the Rings, right? When they're in uh, Rivendell and they're arguing about the ring and you got Frodo just saying, I'll, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. And it reminds me sometimes of how we in our culture here tend to nitpick and, and, and poke and cause more argument than we need to forgetting what you just said, Amanda, that there's stuff being used all over the Mm -hmm. world in third world, second world developing countries who've recognized that education is maybe one of their only ways out of their situation and kind of ties back to what we started off with. And, and here we are bickering about, you know, tell me about it, about how many, how many open angels can dance on the Mm -hmm. pin of of an open textbook. Right. And it just, it, it just, it reminds me again to center myself and to make sure that I understand that there's a broader picture here and that, you know, it's okay for me to disagree or it's okay for you to disagree with me that that's cool, but let's not forget the main mission of what we're doing mm-hmm. here. So, yeah. so true. <laughs> Stamp. Drop <the> mic. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And that's another week. Thanks um, everyone. <laughs> very good. That, was a, that was a quick episode. Amanda, who's been the most influential in your open philosophy as you've been building it as you go? Oh boy. Gosh, I have a few. Um, I have a few. I think um, uh, Mary Burgess, our executive director at BC Campus, has been incredibly influential to me um, personally as a mentor. Um, really helping me think of open um, as more of a, in terms of a strategic lens about um, coming at open from multiple strategies. I, I really find that um, inspiring. And also I find, um, you know, Mary has really created an environment at BC campus that uh, is about collaboration 
and it is um, really, you know, centering the work we do at BC Campus as, you know, we're the neutral convener. Um, and what we do is we're just trying to make students successful and we want to improve student learning. Those are that's really at the forefront of everything we do. And there's something about having having that. Um, and also, I think, too, you know, she's been a real advocate for open for many years. And so just um, having her constantly challenge certain ideas, but also raise raise me up a bit has been awesome. Another woman um, I find incredibly inspiring is Jess Mitchell, who's with the Inclusive Design Research Center. Mm -hmm. Um, And she really opened my eyes to open um, in the sense of asking the question, uh, can can the curriculum we create be both open and accessible? And it was really her early work um, at the Inclusive Design Research Center that launched some a project that I did with Tara Robertson and Sue Doner, who's at Camosun College, um, on creating the first accessibility toolkit for open textbooks. And it really got us thinking, you know, are students actually able to access the books uh, when you do have a visual disability, for example, is one one option or one one area where we were looking at. And are they able to use the books in a way that um, that is accessible and actually it you know enhances their learning opportunities? So I really found um, her impactful. I've also um, you know David Wiley also obvious for many obvious reasons, sort of being the the real um, you know quote unquote founder of open education, I guess you could say, um, and his uh, thought process behind, you know, the five R's and open pedagogy in particular about ways to really push it and think about it. Um, And I mean, I've been very influenced by so many others and I'm just trying to think. um, I also, when I was working in Kenya, I uh, was working with um, a really inspiring group of educators who were coming from the Open University UK who really saw open um, as an opportunity, not only for access, but enhanced teaching methodologies. And I was very inspired also by the way that they were able to work with um, uh, various teachers and teacher educators to localize content. Um, And then, you know, I'm I'm constantly reaching out to people. One of my very good friends, Allison Inbrindius, who's at um, Lumen Learning, I reach out to her a lot for thought for thoughts on open and what's working and how they're moving forward with things. And my good friend, Christina Ishmael, who's in K through 12 education at New America. Um, she's really informed a lot of my thinking in particular because she's, she's in K through 12 and we're mainly focused on post-secondary. So I feel like I come at it from so many different facets and I, and I really just love hearing the different um, thought processes and where people are coming from. And, and, and I think that's really where my, my inspiration has come from and where I seek mentorship. Yeah, that's good. That, thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that. That's um, it, it's, it's surprising how it's never really one person and how it's a, it's a, potpourri of many different people and different perspectives that kind of help us put together our own philosophy as we move forward. So Mm -hmm. thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. 
Man, as we're, we're getting close to our time, um, you've probably touched on this a few times uh, in some of the th- stuff that you've shared with us. But one question that I like to ask our guests as we get near the end or when we're at the end is this question here. What impact do you want to have in the open space? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I want the impact I want to have is to show that that I am a leader in the open education field who um, has been who we've been in in a team environment. We have been able to collaborate with multiple partners and in 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 diverse ways. Um, I also want to. You know, my goal at the end of the day is really to leave. And this is going to sound a bit corny, but, you know, we're kind of on that train <laughs> um, <laughs> is really to leave the world in a better place than when I came into it. And for me, that's that's about improving access to education. And I really strongly believe that the only way we can improve access to education or improve improve um, the way in which you know, we receive research or the way in which we read research or the way in which we're trying to solve, um, you know, um, epidemics around the world is through open and open data or open access or open science. And so for me, the impact that I want to have is really to, to not only be a leader who can showcase collaboration, but also somebody who's going to leave, you know, British Columbia students in a place where they feel like they've been given an opportunity um, that isn't, you know, uh, bankrupting them by the end of their four or five years and an opportunity for them to excel and succeed in moving forward in the life they want to create. Wow. I'm sold. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit on the fence, but now I'm jumping oh. off. Yeah, yeah, we're we're there. Chad, do you have anything that uh, you want to ask Amanda before we wrap up? Well, I, I mean, I have a whole page of notes that we haven't even touched on, so we're going to have to have her back on another episode, I think. <laughs> I think you've said that once <laughs> or twice before. <laughs> That's all good. So thanks mm-hmm. again, Amanda, for taking the time to be with us on the show. Um, it's been fantastic. And uh, yeah, we need to have you back. Oh, I'd love to come back and I'd love to actually talk more about Um, the actual trades work that you both are involved in, because I think um, you two are transforming trades education in a way that's going to impact students, not only in British Columbia, but around the world. Thank you. Well, thank you. All right. (laughs) And uh, we're all good. All right. Thanks everybody for listening to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. As always, uh, you can find us on all of your social uh, podcast distributors. Uh, there's also a website, praxispedagogy.com. You can go there. There's a newsletter. If you sign up to it, we'll be sure to get it out to you once uh, every couple of weeks, once a month. We won't spam you um, and, and we won't flood your, your inbox because it's already flooded. But um, all that to say, thanks again for listening and uh, we'll catch you thanks in the next episode. Everyone.